I've always had a light inside of me. People have told me that my whole life. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, this week I have Mark Neff, who I have known, I think we said 20 years, but actually I think it's 30, which terrifies me. Mark is a coach and he is the author of a brand new book called Diving Into Darkness to Find Light. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here too. Our lives have intersected multiple times, and I think all sort of by chance, don't you think? I think so, too. I really do. I think professionally, we've connected. Personally, we've connected. And I think this is kind of the full circle moment for me to do this type of work with you. Oh, so I want to hear all about, well, first, you know, we always ask our guests to give us sort of your story, right? And where you grew up and things like that. You are an identical twin. Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your your fam. Oh, perfect. Yes, I'm an identical twin. I grew up in Cincinnati, a suburb, Liberty Township. Um, I'm a Lakota High School grad, graduated in 92. And um, I went to college at Miami University, so I didn't go far. And um, that ended up taking me out to San Francisco to work for about six years after college. And what did you do in San Francisco? I was doing marketing and advertising. And I didn't I, know that. Yeah, I was on the business side um, of the agency, and I should have been on the creative side. So mm. hence, after September 11th, I thought, do I want to sit behind a desk for the rest of my life? And that's what motivated me to quit my job, leave corporate America and learn how to cut hair. Um, you went from marketing to cutting hair. Yes. Did you always cut hair? Like, were you into like, you know, beauty or anything like that? Well, you know, what's interesting, you know how they say to find your passion, look at the things you love to do as a little kid. Yeah. My neighbor had one of those Barbie kind of head platforms that you could yes. brush her hair. That's yes. all I wanted to play with. But little boys Gosh. weren't supposed to do that back then. But I did it no. anyway. But that never seemed like a potential career path for me. You know, I, it was high school, college, job. And so that's right. what I did. So you weren't supposed to do that as a little boy. How did your parents sort of manage that? You know, they really didn't. My parents were always supportive of whatever we wanted to do. I think it was more societal programming. It's just really? observing kind of what everyone else was doing. Okay. So I think with okay. that business mentality in my mind, and my dad was also an entrepreneur. So I kind of had that with me as well. But I just, in the beginning, I didn't see going to get a cosmetology license and then opening a salon as my path at that point. It was getting the business degree and working in corporate America. But I quickly realized I probably should have done something more on the design front and worked on the creative team at the agency versus, you know, the project management side. So 2011 hits, you're like, I need to do something different. How did you figure out how to pivot? Because that's a pretty drastic move. 
Yeah, you know, um, for me, I've always been a very spiritual person. And I knew after witnessing September 11th that, you know, we could be here today, gone tomorrow. So I was just willing to take the risk. Um, I knew I couldn't do it in San Francisco. It was too expensive. I didn't want to work yeah. all day and go to school at night. So that's what brought me back to Cincinnati. I knew I could come here, go to school full time, be done in 10 and a half months, and then start my training per se to master my craft. And then my goal was within three to five years to own my own salon. And that's Had exactly you what already happened. come out? Had you already come out at that point? Yeah, I came out before I moved to San Francisco because I didn't want my parents to think I was running away from something. So I came out oh. right after I graduated from college. You are so sweet. Okay. Now, your identical twin, I think you've told me he's gay too. Did he? Yes. Right? Correct. Yeah, Did we support the whole genetic theory. <laughs> Did he? Did you come out first or did he come out first? I did. He wasn't quite comfortable yet, but it was only a matter yeah. of weeks before he came out to me. And then it took him a little while to come out to the rest of the family and other friends. But it was a it was just a slower process for him. So is this stereotypical for me to believe this? Uh, but I would think being in San Francisco in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, right? Yeah, basically, so, yeah, all late 90s. I moved back here in 2001. And so when you're out there, it's people are probably more open to switching from a career in marketing to a career in cosmetology. Yes? Or is that but, inaccurate? No, that's very accurate. I was with a very progressive, forward-thinking agency. And when I put my notice in, they were so supportive and so... Um, yeah, I guess supportive is the best word. They were so supportive of me following a passion that they said if it didn't work out, they would take me back into a oh role at the agency. So I could not have asked for better support during that transition. So when you said you've always been spiritual, what was part of that spiritual foundation that helped you take, take that, take both leaps, right? I mean, coming out and the new job, those are big biggies. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it was, it was just the craving to not feel stuck. And I think, you know, we always have that little voice that's whispering to us. Um, and I think that little voice was saying, can you imagine doing this for the rest of your life? And I think the spirituality at that point was the ability to listen to that. And with the support of an amazing family, it definitely made that process easier. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful for wherever that came from to be able to take that risk and not stay stuck. Hmm. I love this whole concept of like hearing that nudge or that voice. And I'm obsessed with how do you hear that nudge or strengthen that intuitive muscle. So how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you one thing, and I coach this to a lot of my clients, the most important thing that we can do, and we have so little time to do it today is to get quiet and get still. 
because we're so distracted, we're so busy that we don't even have the capacity to hear that little voice, which is our intuition and our heart thinking is what I like to call it. So we have to carve out that stillness, even if it's a couple minutes a day to kind of start redisciplining ourselves to tune into that. And how do you separate when you're listening, when you take, when you have that stillness, how do you discern between the ego and spirit, I guess, or self, however you call it? That's a great question. I think if there's even a thread of a thought that you're going to be doing something for someone else to please someone else to make someone else happy, the ego is still attached to it. Okay. I want you to give me an example because I really love this. For me, it's like, is that what I want? Or am I doing that because that will make them happy? Yeah. Or society. Or like me more or. Right. You don't want to disappoint or, or I think we're also so programmed with the way it should work if it's something we want to do. Um, So I think there are a lot of layers to it. You know, I decided when I left corporate America and wanted to cut hair, I went to a Nevada school because I knew they had a Mm -hmm. good foundation. Then I went to Vidal Sassoon over in London Like I mapped out the best training for myself for me to get from point A to B because I was so crystal clear that my goal was to own my own salon. Mm -hmm. So I was that, that level of intuition and kind of heart speaking to me was crystal clear. Sometimes where it got a little polluted for me over the course of the, you know, 17 years I was doing hair was, oh, I see this other successful salon in the city is doing this. I should do this. Yes. So I fell into a little bit of, again, what I thought I should be doing to be successful. And I definitely see a lot of missed opportunities when I look back over my hair career for me making that really mine. I think it, I I love that, that concept because, uh, you know, that comparison can be, you know, sometimes it'll drive us to be better. Right. But in other times it gets us out of our lane, like where we're supposed to be heading. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say the lady that bought my salon, I have so much respect for her because what I experienced as a business owner was analysis paralysis. I would get an Mm -hmm. idea and I would overthink it. And by then it was too late to really capitalize on that idea and execute. Correct. Where, you know, she thinks of an idea, she executes it and it's making her super successful. And I love that. Hmm. All right. Uh, You have your salon career and then what? Well, I started feeling burnt out and I didn't realize to the extent that I was burnt out until I decided to get sober. And my sobriety thinking is what made me realize for probably three to five years, I had been feeling burnt out, but I was putting band-aids yeah. on it. So listeners, Mark and I were, uh, this is where our lives intersected again. So we hadn't seen each other. I don't think I had seen you for years. 
Correct. I would see you every so often when my mom would get her hair done at your salon, but I, I didn't see you that much. And then one day saw each other at an AA meeting and I was like, hey, and you were like, hey, and we were like, oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. And Mia, that's our producer, everybody. You need to take that out because that was the cheesiest thing that I just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding, listeners. We're not taking that out, but it was really cheesy. Uh, so yes, could you mind sharing your sobriety story? No, not at all. And I think this is a great kind of next conversation based on the intuition and heart thinking. That little voice was yeah. whispering to me for years that I was probably drinking a lot more than my friends were and mm -hmm. that this could potentially be a problem. But I was still showing up. I was doing my work and I was surviving. So you know, I had yep. myself convinced that it wasn't a problem. Part of my coping, I should say my only coping mechanism as an adult that I knew and I knew really well was alcohol. So when yeah. things got stressful at work, when I got too busy, when I got you know overextended, that's where I would go. And I didn't have any consequences to my drinking other than maybe a little bit of weight, some high blood pressure, a little inflammation. Um, those were the only consequences that I was living with, but they weren't extreme enough to make me think about stopping. But over yeah. the course of six months, I had two DUIs and I actually had oh, to I go. I didn't know that. Yes, I had to actually go to jail. I had to go to Hamilton County jail and sit there for three days. That was part of my sentence for the second three DUI. days. It was an yeah. out-of-body experience, but it was the most humbling thing that I have ever experienced. And the first DUI didn't do the trick. I kept drinking. So that's why I got the second one. And yeah. that was my aha moment because I was literally driving my car through a parking lot and I hit the parking shopping center sign. If I would not have hit that sign, I would have gone into four lanes of rush hour traffic on Kenwood Road. Oh my gosh. So to me, you know, you, you get a, you get a little whisper and then you get a conversation and then you get a scream and then you get a shout. That was my shout that it was time to really get serious about this. Okay. I want to say that again. You get a whisper, you get a conversation, you get a scream and then you get a shout. And the shout to me is that consequence that will finally, it doesn't even have to be drinking. But it's that consequence for anything that finally gets you to choose another path. And for me, choosing the path to not drink anymore was the only possible path for me. Did you go into a 12-step program right there and then when you got out of the three days in the clink? I did. I, you know, that I didn't have to serve that immediately because it took a while for my court case to get all resolved. Oh. Um, Unfortunately, a month after I got sober, I lost my younger brother in an alcohol-related car accident. What? Yeah. And that's what, you know, when God or universe energy, whatever you want to call it, gives you kind of a gift to affect your life. My DUI was yeah. my gift. Losing my brother was kind of an affirmation to me that I had to stay serious about this. Oh my God, Mark, your poor parents. Oh, yes. It was is awful. He your only, is he your only other brother other than your twin? 
Yeah, there were three boys. He was our younger brother. Oh, Mark. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, uh, also, genetic. Genetic, absolutely. With- you know, and until, until my brother, I always tried to help my brother because guess what? If I was helping my brother, the attention was off of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, of course. Um, Are you kidding? Yeah. But until we dealt with my brother and I dealt with my own sobriety, I didn't realize how much family history we had with alcoholism. My parents don't have a problem because I think they were both raised in alcoholic households. So, and so they didn't drink. They drank, but they drank responsibly. So when we started looking back and diving into some of the stories of grandparents, that's when I saw how significant genetic predisposition really is for this terrible disease. Yes. And I have it too on both sides of my family too. We've done like the family tree. Wow. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a Move Forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one-hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. And didn't you get cancer at one point? I did. I had cancer. I'm 15 years now in remission, but I'll tell you. You know, cancer was a huge part of my addiction as well. I thought I had processed and dealt with the enormity of someone telling you you have something that potentially is going to kill you way sooner than you thought. Um, So I, again, once I came through the chemo and got better, within a very short amount of time, I was drinking to help numb all the emotions that come with a cancer diagnosis and treatment. Can I ask you, because I've never really, actually, there was one one man that I did interview on this show who, he had so many transplants, I can't even believe he's still alive, Don Eric. Anyway, for you, processing that, what did you learn through processing that? I learned that I'm an optimist by nature. I've learned that my optimistic side will typically take over when there's something difficult to deal with. So Mm -hmm. I had suppressed a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of fear that was attached to that. And it took me about four years until I realized, like I looked around my closet and everything was black. Well, I thought it was because I was a hairdresser. Well, it, it was because I was depressed. I'm a very colorful person. And it happened so slowly and so subtly for me. I didn't even realize it was happening. Wow. Yeah. I was going to ask you something. Oh, do you know what your Enneagram number is? I'm a two. And I think I, my other one, I go to a nine. Okay. okay. I forget the exact 
terms that you use with the Enneagram, but yeah, it's ironic like that in, you- in stress or um, stress or strain, you would, I'm guessing you would go to a nine. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, okay, so you're a two. So for listeners, a two is what, Mark? I believe a two is like the helper, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And so you helps, yeah. And so the shadow of that is that you help so much that you you don't always see your own needs or your own needs aren't always important enough. And then when you do realize they're important, you get resentful because you're you're not speaking up about what you need. Absolutely. And you know, I write a little bit about this in the book. Um, for me, being the cancer patient, I witnessed my family um, exhibiting fear and they were all scared to death that they were going to lose me. Well, guess who steps into the role of telling all them that I'm going to be okay. I do. You. Yeah. So it was a really interesting psychology for me to realize that through that whole experience, I wasn't taking care of myself. The doctors were, but I emotionally was taking care of my family, reassuring them that I was going to make it through this. So it's a really interesting perspective for not only caretakers, family members that are dealing with someone that has cancer, but also cancer patients to be more aware of what they might be um, forfeiting as far as self-care in, you know, helping others. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. So you get sober. At what point do you sell the salon? I found a buyer in October of 2019. And it took us a few months to put the deal together. We literally, Sarah, signed the paperwork two weeks before the pandemic hit. Okay. I mean, that's the luckiest thing I've ever heard. Well, you know what? It's funny. I I don't like to call it luck. I like to call it alignment. It was the first time in my life that I listened to my intuition. I followed through with it because I was sober and I had clarity of mind. And that was the affirmation from the universe to me that I was on the right path. Gosh, what did you do during the pandemic? Is that when you wrote the book? I did, yes. So I took a little time for myself. I started coaching. I love that you did that. Yes. I I, I took time for myself. Then I started writing, but what I, or I started coaching immediately. And what I realized as I was coaching a lot of emotions started bubbling up for myself. So I actually stopped coaching as well. And I said, I need to carve out some still time for myself. And that's what ended up leading into the book. You know, I, I think it's really interesting that you, you just talked about how you were coaching and things were bubbling up. When I was going through my divorce, I had this total, like in, I had a ton of coaching clients that popped up and I always tell people that those coaching clients then saved me, you know, and they will say I helped them, but they helped me as much as, as I helped them. Oh yeah. Uh, And I was getting, I was, I had a therapist and a coach at the same time too. So I wasn't just, but I found that there's always that give and take there. I love that you paused and said, Hey, I need to do my work. I think that's amazing. And you know, and the book was unintentional for me. I started writing. Yeah, I started feeling these emotions come up. And I love Brene Brown. So I had watched some of her stuff about when we have these buried emotions, 
We need to recognize the emotion. We need to process it. And then we need to let it go. So I wrote for myself to do that about sexual identity in growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s as a little gay boy. I wrote about yeah. my cancer experience, my alcoholism, my tragic loss with my brother, mm-hmm. my career burnout, and then the mental health aspect that was involved in all of that. And before yes. I knew it, I had over 130 pieces that I had written. And I thought, you know what? I can help people on a much bigger level than coaching people one-on-one. And I have to put this together and make it a book. And that's how it was born. So beautiful. You know, before we get off today, I want you to, if, if you're comfortable, I would love for you to read an excerpt from it or, or, or share something from Oh my that. gosh. Yeah. Is so there any, cool. is there any certain topic that you'd like to hear like on sobriety, on cancer? I think we just go where we feel drawn. Okay. Yeah. We could do that at the end. I oh, want to perfect. keep going yes. with this. Yes, yes, yes. Let's, I want to keep going. I'm not, I'm not done yet. So Mark, one of the things that um, I'm s- obsessed with as well, not only what I said about earlier around intuition, but the other piece is the concept of acceptance. And Brene Brown just had uh, Father Richard Rohr on her podcast recently. I don't know if you heard this episode. If you haven't, you need to listen to it. Listeners, oh, perfect. You too. I'm going to I'm going to share it in my newsletter this month as well. Anyway, one of the things that they talk about and have a discussion over is you can't have faith with certitude. So in order to have faith, you have to be uncertain, which goes back to Brene's whole piece of vulnerability, right? Right, yeah. And in your life with, I mean, you've had a lot of shit hit you, pardon my French, but I mean, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of uncertainty, especially, I mean, all of it, but especially the cancer thing. I mean, that to me is like the, the summit of uncertainty. Right. What do you think you were supposed to learn from that? Or what did you learn from that? I certainly learned that. I, and I didn't realize I learned this until I went through the process of selling the salon and writing the book. Because when I sold the salon, I approached life with such an open mindset and I stopped trying to control, pardon my French, all the shit that I was trying to control. And when I stopped trying to force things into my life, that's when everything started coming. I know. And that, yeah, I mean, that is like a daily practice for me. It is a discipline. I know why they call it a discipline. It is a discipline. Yeah. And some days I'm like, oh, I got this. And then other days I'm not. That for me, so sobriety was my acceptance is the answer, that acceptance piece, the surrender piece that you're talking about. That I think was my sobriety learning lesson. Uh, And let me tell you, I'm still learning it. Uh, But the fact that I would use alcohol to control how I was feeling and when I couldn't do that anymore. I I had to go to acceptance, right? Right. It's it's just like, it feels so counterintuitive as a human. It does. It totally does. And I think that, you know, I do a lot of work on manifesting. And, you know, I think that there's a disconnect oftentimes when people are manifesting something, they think about it and then they let it go. And that's, that's huge. That's a lot of it. But 
you know, with all the work being done on emotions now, we're emotional creatures that think. We're not thinking creatures that feel. So I'm learning the whole manifestation magic is actually feeling what it would feel like to have whatever we're manifesting. And that's when it happens. Okay, I'm writing that down. I'm totally, can we, can we do something? Can you give me an example of that of like something that you're manifesting right now? That is so good. The thing I'm manifesting now is the amount of people that I'm going to help with this book. I can feel Mm -hmm. in my soul. I don't want to be famous. I don't want that's I've never wanted to be famous. My goal is to help people. And I get goosebumps when I think of all the people that I can help that haven't only struggled with the traumas that I've struggled with, but all the people that are attached to them, that this will be a great perspective for them as well. And that I feel, it makes me feel at peace and it makes me feel joyous and it makes me feel content. I've always had a light inside of me. People have told me that my whole life. And I am an optimist. I've approached every negative in my life head on. Now I'm seeing how I use that light. I never knew how to use it or where to use it. That's what's becoming more clear to me every day. You are, you are a bright light. That is so, so accurate. I think too, I I love that feeling piece. I think that's really right on. I also, you know, when I owned my salon, which wasn't something that I loved doing, Mm -hmm. but I thought I'm going to manifest this, this blow dry bar is going to be amazing and blah, 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 blah. But there was no feeling behind it. And it wasn't in alignment with, not who I am. Yes. You know what I mean? I love, yes. I know exactly what you mean. And you're manifesting it. I would, I would almost lay money on if you can think back to when you were doing it, the success piece attached to it was what our society sees as success. Yes. Busy, making a lot of money, you know, best blow dry bar in the city. And, you know, if that wasn't necessarily in alignment with what your passion is, I can see how it, you didn't feel anything with it. And I didn't even like, I didn't even like going out there, just driving out there. I'd have like a belly ache, right? Oh yeah. I've said that multiple times on this show and that should have been, you know, that should have been that, uh, that was a scream, I think. Oh, yeah. If my body was starting to feel sick to my stomach from that, that that wasn't just a whisper. That wasn't right. just a conversation. That was more of a scream. I think maybe so not too. a shout. Or what was the last one? A shout. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, I love that you have, t- like you said, that you took some time off after you sold the salon. I think a lot of people are doing that right now. I don't know if you're finding that with coaching people around career. Yeah. Since COVID, just like 9-11 gave you that perspective years ago. Right. COVID's giving. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I think I want to talk again about passion when you when you talk about that, because I think people are realizing that you can be in control of your passion. 
I thought I wanted to do business. And then I realized I wanted to do something creative. And I did that for almost 20 years. And the burnout was me feeling the lack of passion in that. And it's okay to change. I had passion for it for a long time. Now I'm pursuing my next passion. The different seasons of life we have to embrace. It, a lot of people see it as failure. It's actually growth. Yes. Uh, I 100% agree. You know what? I, I am obsessed with, I, I was, I guess I still am. I, I was obsessed with this concept of a shell, you know, like a, a conch shell, you know? Uh-huh. And as the, whatever snail grows within it, the, the, the shell, you know, grows in the lines and the lines and the lines um, on the shell, which is growth and season and change and change. Yeah. Yeah. We're never going to stay the same we are today. Correct. And I think if you can incorporate, if you can start to shift any type of fixed mindset that you might have and replace that with an open mindset, like I started coaching and I wrote a book. I'm not trying to force anything right now. I'm just doing work every day to help people. And if my path goes to the right, or if my path goes to the left, or if my path goes down the middle, I trust that my path will take me where I need to be rather than me trying to pick a path. And that was such an eye opener for me. Okay. I need to hear that again. I need you to say that one more time because I think that's so critical. Yeah. I think whenever we're doing anything that's passion related, having a complete open mindset, you have to trust the path. Like I think a lot of times we try to force the path. So if your path is going to go right, left, or down the middle, let, let the path open to you versus you trying to pick the path. And I think a lot of people get a little bit confused on this whole concept sometimes because a lot of people think, oh, then I should just let it happen. You still do the work but do the work with not such a concrete end in sight. Like follow the passion, do the work, and you never know what could open up if you are open to it. Yes, yes, and yes. So it's be, let let the path be open to you, but still put in the work. I Correct. think that's really important. Absolutely. Don't just expect it's all going to come to you. Right. And if the work feels icky, you're probably not doing your passion. I think there is some difficult work that comes with any type of work. You know, I'm learning a lot about social media right now, and I never thought I'd be a TikToker, but TikTok is important for me to get my message out there. So I'm pushing my boundaries and I'm thinking outside of the box. I don't necessarily love it, but it's, I'm having fun with it because I, I'm not, already like closing my mind to it. Yes. 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 Oh, I love that. All right. Could we close with a, um, a reading? I I think I found one that will resonate with readers. This is more on the mental health side, but I think it encompasses a lot of what we talked about. Beautiful. All right. Ready? Do you, do you use band-aids for your broken pieces of life when you are searching for fulfillment and contentment 
Steve sometimes get lost in masking unhappiness in new clothes, a new house, a new car, a pet, an unhealthy relationship, food, travel, likes on social media. These band-aids create an illusion of happiness, an external masquerade. Amen. I could, I mean, all of those things, I was like, check, check, check. Yeah. So many band-aids. Can I read just one more for you for our sobriety folks out there that are listening? Yes. This is a short one, but it, you know, it just resonates so much for me. And it just makes me laugh now. And I'm so grateful to be at that point in my sobriety that I can look back at some of my mistakes and laugh. Okay. Totally do. Appetizer, $12.99. Salad, $7.99. Main course, $24.99. Bar tab, $103. Total, alcoholic. <laughs> you remember those days? Oh, my God. I, when I cut out alcohol, I kept being like, oh my God, my bill is so inexpensive. <laughs> yes. Now I can go spend it on clothes. <laughs> right, exactly. God. This That's, was so awesome. Oh, I love this. Mark, you're amazing. I'm so glad that we got you on here. Yeah, I know thanks we for had worked me. on it for a little bit. Thank you for being here. Oh, yeah, I hope it and was helpful. So, are you kidding? Look at all my notes that I wrote. Oh, I love These are all just for me. Yeah. So listeners, check out Mark's book, Diving Into Darkness to Find Light. By the way, I love that title. I didn't even get to to mention that, but what a beautiful title. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, wait. Can we just just end on one thing about this? Why is diving into darkness so important to find the light? Well, I think the darkness for many of us are all the emotions and traumas in our life that we haven't necessarily dealt with. And we're not going to truly see the light until we dive into that darkness. And it's scary for a lot of people, but it will be one of the most beautiful things you can ever do for yourself. Love it. I have my, I have this favorite quote and I'm going to start doing a keynote on this, but um, failures or obstacles or opportunities to prove what I'm capable of. Yes. I love that. I I just think that you are such a better person. You are more of Mark because of alcoholism, cancer, you know, yeah, all that. I love it. Thank you so much for saying that. I feel it. I feel it. When you're authentic. And now you're giving back your gifts. Yeah. Yes. You can't help but give it away. I know. Uh, You're amazing. Thank you so much for being on today. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I just love your energy as always. And I hope we see each other (laughs) soon. Yeah, I do too. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.